Matthew 10, let's look at verse 16, and uh, we'll read down to verse 23. The Bible says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils and will scourge you in their synagogues, and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my name's sake, for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not you that speak, ye that speak, but the spirit of your father which speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. He shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. Father, your word is a treasure that is beyond anything that the world could ever produce. We stand in honor of the word of the living God. And we pray today that your word would accomplish all your desire in our hearts. Father, right now, if anyone doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of salvation. And Lord, as Christians, as we consider the text before us, that we would see that there is a real world that will be against the things of God and that we must stand strong on the truth of the word. Help us to be faithful in these last days before you come. And may we be found faithful. Bless this service now. We ask it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, after spending nine weeks examining the lives of the twelve apostles, that Jesus called, which were just down-to-earth, blue-collar men to do the greatest of all works. God chose the humblest of means. We saw him sending them out, beginning in verse number 5, to go to the Jews first, and then later they would go to the Gentiles, as Matthew 28 closes. We saw him sending them with the message of the gospel of the kingdom that would be authenticated, as verse 8 says, with signs of miracles and, and, and healings. And then he said, there will be people who will receive you into their home and you would stay with them. And, and, and he says, if there is a city and a people that you come to that reject the message, that it will be more tolerable for them uh, to, of Sodom and Gomorrah than for them in the day of judgment, according to verse 14 and 15. And so they were to go and preach a message in a world that some would receive them, but the majority would reject them. Then in verse 16 through 42, and from verse 16 until the, remain, until the end of the chapter, Jesus wants them to know that they will face great and serious opposition and great persecution for preaching the Word of God, for preaching the gospel. And what you find in these verses that we've read this morning, verse 16 to 23, is that Jesus doesn't candy coat anything. He's not a salesman that over delivers and under, under promise or over promises and under delivers. He's going to tell you like it is. And he wanted them to know up front what the hardships of the ministry would entail. He told them what to, what to expect as they went forth as his representatives in this world. And he tells them, first of all, in verse number 16, to expect hostility. In verse 16, he says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. The word behold there is what Charles Spurgeon refers to as a divine highlighter for the intense purpose of grabbing your attention 
and emphasizing what is being said. And the Lord uses an illustration from the animal kingdom to represent what kind of relationship believers would have to a lost world. And he says, I will send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. That is not a very comforting picture. It is worth noting that this is the third time Jesus refers to people as sheep in the last uh, 20 or so verses. Back in chapter 9, verse 36, he looked upon the crowds and he says that he was moved with compassion on them because they were like sheep having no shepherd. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 6, he says, uh, I am sending you forth unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he calls the thousands on the landscape sheep that were wandering around needing a shepherd. He says, I'm sending you forth as messengers to the lost sheep of Israel, those who need to be saved. And then he refers now to the messengers as sheep in verse number 16. And so... If, if you've ever studied sheep and you, you're saying, why does he keep referring to the believers as sheep? Um, well, sheep are uh, not the most intelligent animals. Uh, th- this, is, um, this is something to consider. If you've, if you've never read Philip Keller's book, A Shepherd's View of the 23rd Psalm, that would be a good book to get. It's not really super long and it's very instructional on reading the great 23rd Psalm. But he highlights just how difficult sheep can be and how without a shepherd, those sheep will not make it. He tells in the book that if a sheep has too much wool or has eaten too much and gotten too fat, it can lay down and it can, if it rolls on its back, it will be what's known as a cast sheep and they'll die if they, if they don't get assistance to get back onto their feet. So they'll just lay helplessly on their back until they die. Sheep have no defensive mechanisms. You don't go up to a sheep, you never have to worry about them charging you to bite you, right? They only do one thing, they can run, and they're not really that fast, and they're not graceful. Sheep have no homing instinct. Like dogs, cats, birds, most every other animal, if it were to wander away from its home, it can find its way back home. But if a sheep gets lost at all, it's a goner unless the shepherd goes and finds it. Sheep will also follow other sheep even to their own death. Like, it, like if you were to go up on a cliff with a, with a flock of sheep and if one of them jumped off, it is likely that all the rest would jump off to their own death. This actually happens around the world at times. A Turkish newspaper had reported on Fox News of shepherds, re, uh, some shepherds had gone out to breakfast. They had 1,500 sheep in their fold. And from eating breakfast, they were up on a 45-foot cliff and they saw one of the sheep jump off. And to their horror, all 1,500 sheep followed that first stupid sheep. (laughs) You you only need one of those guys. The good news is they didn't lose all the sheep because the the first 450 died, but they created such a cushion at the bottom that the next uh, 1,100 or so survived the fall. So just just understand, sheep are not the most elegant, not the most exalted animals, and we're sheep. Now, anybody like watching nature shows, and and, and I like watching nature shows, you know, and um, uh, you have people who root for the predators, and then there's people who root for the prey. I, I grew up in a home with brothers, and we were just we, we refer to the predators. I mean, anybody else root for the lion and like the, the, the cheetahs? It's like, you know, get that gazelle, you know, right there, you know, just hit the foot, you know. 
But then, then I, now I have all daughters, you know, and my wife, I'm, I'm outnumbered, and they, they all root for the prey. And who's, who's rooting for the prey? It's every woman in here and a few of you gentlemen, okay? So what's interesting here is, um, is we're, we're seen as the prey, aren't we? We're seen as the prey. And the Lord highlights that, that we are in a world where there is hostility, that there is danger. It's not easy. I, I do think it's interesting that back in verse 8, he told them, I will give you power to heal, to cast out demons. I mean, power over the spiritual enemy, power over physical disease and death, even ability to raise people from the dead. But none of that power was designed to defend himself. Right? It wasn't designed to preserve their life and to defeat other people. So they weren't wolves among sheep. They were to be sheep among wolves. And, and so this was the situation. In the early church, suffering was part of Christianity. Suffering was the norm. To be a Christian in first century was to face incredible opposition, to face incredible hostility. 1 Peter 4, Peter writes, Beloved, think it not a strange thing concerning the fiery trial that is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But you're partakers of his sufferings. Paul wrote Philippians 1.29, he told the church at Philippi, he says, For it is given unto you in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. We know in the book of 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says, Yea, let's, all, let's read this verse actually together. He says, Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You see two words there, all and shall. Means everybody that lives godly is going to face persecution. So first of all, expect hostility. Secondly, in this passage, he wants us to know where hostility will come from. And he highlights four different places hostility will arise. And the first is from religion. Look at verse 17. He says, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils. That would refer to the Jewish Sanhedrin. They will scourge you in their synagogues. Synagogue was basically what we would consider in our mindset of being a Jewish church. Now, the first arm of persecution that will come against faithful and true ministers of the gospel would be from religion. You need to understand religion is not a friend of truth. Religion is an enemy of God. Religion is not man's valiant attempt in their pursuit of God. Religion is man creating a system that makes themselves feel good and to make themselves acceptable to God. I've studied. I know what Buddhism teaches. I know the eight noble paths. I know what Hinduism teaches in their Vedas. I know what Islam teaches in the Quran. I know what their, their teachings are. And all of them teach that salvation is attained through people doing good works. It's, it's reincarnating in Buddhism and Hinduism coming back so that you can reach Maksha or uh, Nirvana, depending on Hinduism or Buddhism, which one you're following. And in, in Islam, if you're 51% righteous, a good angel on one side is recording your deeds, a bad angel, your bad deeds. And if you're 51% righteous, you make it into heaven unless you fulfill an assigned fatwa and blow yourself up in a, in a jihad war or something like that. And so it's all through appeasing God through your own goodness. Biblical Christianity is the only religion on the planet 
that teaches you can't be good enough to get to heaven. All have sinned and come short of God's glory and His standard. That you must be saved and Jesus alone can save you. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Jesus alone. And that's what the Bible teaches. Now that flies in the face of religions like Judaism, which was a legalistic system in the true term. They believe that you could attain righteousness by your effort. You could be good enough, but the Bible teaches you cannot. And so we see persecution in the first century rose up, not first from Rome, but it rose up first from Judaism. Jews were the ones who began the persecution against true Christians. Jews were the ones who had Jesus crucified. Peter and John were prisoned and beaten by Jewish authorities for preaching in Acts 4 and 5. In Acts 7, Stephen becomes the martyr of the church and he was arrested and put to death by the Jews. You say, are you anti-Semitic? Are you kidding me? I love Jews more than any of you. Jesus was a Jew, right? You do too. (laughs) Amen. So we love a Jesus Christ was a Jew. And the Jews, I didn't mean that like I love them more than you would love them. I mean that you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes things don't always come across right. So, but, but we love the Jews. We love the Jews who wrote the word of God. We love Jesus who was a Jew. But, but understand this, uh, history is a reality. And, and, and Jews were the ones found persecuting the early Christians. Now, one of the men who were leading that persecution was a man named Saul of Tarsus. He was a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, it says, And as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and hauling men and women committed them to prison. God would later save Saul, which was his Greek name, and he became Paul, which was the Hebrew name uh, for that same man. And he became a preacher of the gospel. And he stood before uh, governing authorities who persecuted him. And he gave his testimony in Acts 22 verse 4. When he talks about his previous life, he said, I persecuted this way or these believers unto the death, binding and delivering into prison both men and women. After he became a Christian, he faced great persecution at the hand of the Jews. And you find this in Acts 13, 14, uh, all throughout the book of Acts. Now, Jesus said that they would scourge you in the synagogue. A scourge was a whip that the Jews would use, and they would whip you up to 39 times. And by the time you get to the end of the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul had been whipped five different times with 39 stripes by the Jews. So after Stephen was martyred in Acts 7, persecution broke out against Christians. History records that over 2,000 Christians were martyred. The Jews thought they were serving God by persecuting Christians. Jesus had prophesied this would happen. In John 16, verse 2, he said this, They shall put you out of the synagogue. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think he doeth God's service. They thought they were serving God by persecuting Christians. Now, persecution rose not only in a physical sense, but also in, 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 in the sense of false teaching. We see this in Acts 20, verse 29. Paul is at Ephesus, and he's telling the leaders of the church at Ephesus, and that church there, the church that he had started, and he had spent three years at Ephesus, he said, For I know this, after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. 
He said also of your own self shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. The way that they would destroy the flock is by teaching false things, by teaching doctrines that were not true. Jesus warned in the last days many false prophets would rise up. Matthew 24, 11, he tells them in the last days many false prophets shall arise and deceive many. We know that during the seven-year tribulation, there is a worldwide leader known as the Antichrist who will come. And he will have as his right-hand man one who is called the false prophet. Satan will be behind both, and that's the satanic trinity. And and we see the false prophet is one who would imitate the Holy Spirit, Antichrist imitating Christ, and, and Satan imitating God in that false trinity. But during the seven-year tribulation, the false prophet will do many miracles. He will deceive the world through religious means. Revelation 13, 14 says, and, he, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do. He will control commerce. There will be a marriage between the church and the world's systems. I know... Klaus Schwab and those at the 2023 Economic Forum would like to control the agenda of the world, but during this day, that will be controlled by this figure. And unless you receive a mark on your right hand or on your forehead, you will not be able to buy or sell. And by not submitting to those systems, you will face death. Today, around the world, many in Muslim countries face persecution for being Christians. There's religions around the world face, that are persecuting Christianity. We saw Christians killed in horrific ways by ISIS. History records incredible persecutions that Christians faced by those who claimed Christianity, such as in the Spanish Inquisition. In 1252, Pope Innocent IV officially sanctioned torture as a way of extracting truth from suspects, and many faithful Christians were slaughtered at the hands of even the Catholic Church. And so the first is through religion. And the second form of persecution rose up through government. Look at verse 18. And he says, And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. So the first arm of persecution came through religion. The second arm will come from government. Government is ordained by God. We are to respect government. It is a divine institution that God ordained. He ordained the family, the government, and the church. But it would also be from government that persecution will arise. You find in the New Testament, Paul being brought before Roman governors for Felix and Festus. And then ultimately he went to Rome where he stood before Nero and was beheaded in Rome around 67 AD. Many of these disciples died under Nero's persecution. It went from 54 to 68 AD. You're probably familiar with Nero starting a fire in Rome and then he blamed the Christians on it. And it allowed him to persecute the Christians in horrific ways. If you've never read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you need to get that book. And you need to read that. And it will tell you about the persecutions throughout all these centuries, starting in first century. He would take Christians into his Colosseum and feed them to his lions and other wild animals. He would sew them up in animal skins, Christians, and he would throw them to these animals. He was even known to take Christians and put them inside of wax shirts and hang them up on posts inside of his garden. And during his parties that he would have, he would light those Christians on fire. 
It continued under the next emperor, Domitian, from 81 to 96. Thomas or Timothy was killed at that time. Then Trajan, Emperor Trajan over Rome, brought the third wave of persecution, and thousands and thousands were killed daily in these persecutions. The early church fathers and the early church leaders faced incredible death and persecution. You need to understand that the men who wrote this New Testament died in horrific ways. Matthew, who wrote the book of Matthew, according to Fox's Book of Martyrs, was beheaded for preaching in 60 AD. Mark was drugged through the streets by horses in Egypt until he died. Luke was hung for preaching in Greece. Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew was crucified in an X-shaped cross. James, the leader of the church of Jerusalem, was thrown off the pinnacle of the temple and then killed when he hit the ground. James the Greater was beheaded in Jerusalem for preaching. Nathaniel went to present-day Turkey where they whipped him to death for preaching. Thomas, known as Downing Thomas, was stuck through with spears. Jude, the brother of Christ, was killed with arrows when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. Matthias, who took the place of Judas, was stoned to death and then beheaded. Barnabas preached in Italy and Cyprus and was stoned to death. And the apostle John was the only one who did not die a violent death because he was exiled to the island of Patmos. This is, you just need to understand, when you hold this Bible this morning, the reason we stand for it, it's the word of the living God, but also there is a lot of blood on these pages. There's a lot of blood that's been shed that we might have the truth. And oh friends, how we take for granted this great word. How great we take for granted what they shed their blood and died to give. People say, well, thankfully, persecution no longer goes on like that around the world against Christianity. You know, it's been estimated that there's 100,000 Christians murdered every single year since 1990. There's more Christians being persecuted in the last 100 years than all the centuries before it. America has enjoyed religious freedoms. And you need to understand why. America's government was set up different than any other government in the world. We have one great distinction between the United States and all the other world governing systems. When, the, when, when, when they came to America and they wrote the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they believed that our freedoms were not given to us by government. That our freedoms were given to us by God Almighty. And the government does not exist to give us freedoms, but are there to protect our freedoms. The Declaration of Independence states, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Today we are seeing a government constantly seeking to take freedoms away from Americans. And at the root of this is a government that wants to replace God. Because if you believe that God gives you those freedoms, then you will constantly resist the government. But you, they want you to believe that it's the government that is what will give you these freedoms. Today we're seeing this constantly happening as a government is trying to spread its wings over this nation and take control of basically everything. This is what is evolving. America is evolving into what they want to be a socialistic nation. Both socialism and communism are both birthed out of Karl Marxism, Marxist ideology, Karl Marx. Let me give you a little history lesson to bring us where we are today. 
In the Bible, there was a nation known as Babel, ancient Babylon. And it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 11. In the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, it calls the false religious system that will be riding on the back of the Antichrist kingdom, Mystery Babylon. And Mystery Babylon is a picture of what happened thousands of years before that in the book of Genesis. Babylon goes back to the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. After the flood, God had told man to go throughout all the earth and populate the earth. But instead, in Genesis 11, verse 4, it says this. And they said, let us go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. What you find here is them doing exactly the opposite of what God called them to do. Why would they want to build a tower that reached to heaven? Well, because just a few pages before this, there was a worldwide flood. And they were led by a man named Nimrod. He is the great-grandson of Noah, spoken of in Genesis 10, who the Bible says was a mighty man in those days. Babylon was the site of man's rebellion against God. It is the place where the world system sought to defy the God of the Bible. Listen to what the chief Jewish historian, Flavius Josephus, who was a Pharisee himself, who lived during the days of Jesus. Listen to what he wrote in his antiquities. He said of Nero, and here he said of Nimrod and Babel, he says, Now it was Nimrod who excited them to such an affront and contempt of God. He was the grandson of Ham, the son of Noah, a bold man and a, of great strength of hand. He persuaded them not to ascribe it to God as if it were through his means they were happy, but to believe it was by their own courage which procured their happiness. He also gradually changed the government into tyranny, seeing no other way of turning men from the fear of God, but to bring them into constant dependence on his power. He also said he would be revenged on God if he should have a mind to drown the world again for that he would build a tower too high for the waters to be able to reach, and that he would avenge himself on God for destroying his forefathers. End quote. Nimrod's goal was to turn the people from trusting in God to trusting in him as the leader of their government. It is known today, this system that you see Nimrod putting in place is what is at work today in America. And it is Marxism, which was fathered socialism and communism. What is Marxism? Well, it's a social philosophy. It was originated by a man named Karl Marx. He was a German philosopher. It basically teaches that the ruling class in any society suppresses the weaker classes of people. This system wants to create a classless society. And the only way they can do this is through a social revolution. Have you seen a social revolution happening in the last five years especially, you will then be able to evenly disperse money to all the people. People will no longer be allowed to own private property. Ownership will be shared by everyone. 
Every citizen gives selflessly to the collective. The purported goal of Marxism is a government-run utopia in which the needs of each individual are always provided for by government. From your job to what you get paid, health care, education is all government-given. When this idealistic model is attempted in the real world, it never works. But it's called socialism and communism. The problem is, it has never worked in real life. It's an idea that never materializes. What's incredible today is there's a large majority of young people in our nation who want this to be a socialistic country. They don't have a clue what they're talking about. This is what China, Soviet Union, Vietnam, this is what, this is what these countries put into place. You need to understand that Marxist ideology is what's fueling what's going on in America. And it's more, more accurately called cultural Marxism because it's not imposing military force. Rather, it's a gradual transformation through cultural changes. It always promises hope and change, income equality, racial harmony, and justice. It's all based on secular ideas, though, instead of biblical truths. And you need to know this. At the heart of Marxism, it's atheistic. Karl Marx said this, quote, The first requisite of the happiness of the people is the abolition of religion. He carried the exact same philosophy as Nimrod in Genesis chapter number 10 and 11. And exactly the Babylon that was created there will be the mystery Babylon of what comes. Today the progressives and radicals in our country are seeking to redefine the United States. They want America to be a socialistic state where the government controls everything. In Marxism, the government is the provider, sustainer, protector, and lawgiver, where we believe God is the one who does that. Marxist governments hate the idea of any higher authority in themselves. That's why in socialistic countries, Christianity is always persecuted. Biblical Christianity is always persecuted. Do you, do you think Ukraine is democratic? They're, they're, they're shutting down churches in Ukraine while well, our president's sending billions over there. Don't get me started. Rabbit trail is running in front of me. But what you have seen and will see, you need to know this, there will be a continual government takeover of everything in this nation. Everything. As it already has been doing. People... You say, how, why would they ever give up their freedoms? You know why they'll give up their freedoms? I spent months and months, we debated this in college for probably six months, and in classes and looking through different things, and it's been so true. People will always surrender freedoms for safety. Wasn't it Benjamin Franklin who says, they that give up their freedoms for temporary safety deserve neither freedom nor safety. You know, our founding father said, give me liberty or give me death. Now we bleed like sheep for our comfort. I can tell you how they gave it. Gave it away in America was through COVID, wasn't it? And you think COVID was an accident? Is there anyone still naive enough to think that that was by accident? We saw more government takeover in this country in the last three years than in, than in the last 200 plus years. There's been nothing to compare with the drastic takeover of power. There were, there were mayors and governors in this country acting literally no different than the leadership of China. 
than the leadership inside of Soviet Union. Absolutely controlling everyone. Saying, you can't even go to this store, but this time of day, you can't. There were churches, they told churches all across the country, including places like this, you're not allowed to sing in church. You have to take out chairs. You can't allow people to shake hands in church. I did probably, I don't know, 50 funerals during COVID. You can only have 10 people there. I said, you can do whatever you want. I'm going to have whoever the family wants to come, they're allowed to come. I don't... I just know that, so which family members are you going to tell not to show up at grandma's funeral? When your child's dying in the hospital, there were people that could not even go be with their children. There were churches that were fined all over the nation thousands of dollars for having church. For having church. All the while, the casinos were allowed to function. To the point, liquor stores were never made to shut down. Why not? Planned Parenthood was allowed to stay open. Wonder why? Because the government says what they can allow to have open and what cannot be. It was so bad that there were churches, many of us forget this so quick, but there were churches trying to have church in casinos because they're like, thousands are allowed to go to casinos. We're not allowed to have in church. So they tried to have church in casinos and they said, no, they can do that at casinos, but you're not allowed to have in church there. Places like New York City where Mayor de Blasio threatened to permanently close down many of the churches and synagogues who would not follow his orders to stay closed. Praise God, there were some men who had courage to stay open. Men like John MacArthur out on the front lines in California. The governor was coming against him. The entire state was trying to close him down. And, and, and listen, I'm, not everything that Donald Trump does is, is right and good, but during that same time, he called John MacArthur and said, don't worry, I have your back. Praise God for a president, even if you don't like him or like him. Praise God for a man who stands up for a church like that. In Mississippi, one church had service in their parking lot. While they were in the cars, police officers raided the church and fined everyone there $500 for sitting in their car in the parking lot, listening on their radio to the pastor preaching. In the United States... And who knows the name Richard Wormbrand? Raise your hand. Who's ever heard of the book Tortured for Christ? You need right now, I don't care if you text yourself or you write it down, you need, to, you need to write down Tortured for Christ and you need to watch that today or this week. I'm putting you on assignment, all right? Because if, if we don't learn from these things, I'm telling you this is what's coming. Richard Wormbrand, there's a movie you could also watch that came out in the last probably five years about his life. But he speaks about the 14 years of imprisonment, beatings, persecutions that he and other Christians faced in communist Romania. He's like a present-day Daniel. <laughs> I'll never forget when he, probably 25 years ago when I was reading that book and, and he was writing about how Nazis were coming in and Romania and all these things were going on and telling the churches what they could say, what they couldn't say. You know, you had to support the government and all this. You couldn't speak out against government. And he was standing up like, you can't, you can't tell the church what to preach. And, and, and he told his wife, he said, if I stand up and speak in this setting, he said, you're going to lose your husband. She said, I didn't marry a coward. And he stood up for the gospel of Christ and they threw him in prison and tortured him for 14 years in ways that cannot be repeated. 
and many of the other faithful pastors. When he got out during World War II, he also preached at bomb shelters or helped rescue Jews in the 70s. Richard Rembrandt published a flyer called Communism. He was wanting to warn the West of what was coming. In 1970, he published the flyer called Communism, the Worker's Paradise, and he listed 45 ways which communism intended to infiltrate Western countries. Let me just read a few of them. He said, first of all, get control of the schools and universities. Adopt ideas where, which are viewed as progressive, yet deliberately line up with communist views. Second, get control of the TV, radio, and media. Use it to promote those ideologies. Well, thankfully, we have an unbiased media in America today. <laughs> Thirdly, break down cultural standards of morality by promoting pornography and obscenity in books and films. Present homosexuality and degeneracy and promiscuity as normal and natural and healthy. Eliminate prayer in any phase of religious expression in the schools on the grounds that it violates separation of church and state. Discredit the American Constitution. Discredit the American founding fathers. I mean, are we not seeing all of this just literally unfolding? Over especially the last five to six years. It's like, why are they tearing down the American founding fathers? <laughs> They're trying to make a classless society. They want to rid the, the, the middle class. They, they discourage the teaching of American history. Treat all behavioral problems as psychiatric disorders which no one but the psychiatrist can treat. <laughs> Discredit the family. Encourage promiscuity and easy divorce. Emphasize the need to raise children away from the negative influence of their parents. And the list just goes on and on and on. What you literally have seen unfolding in America is a planned attack from, from, a, from wickedness that it can be in governing systems. You cannot trust our current CIA and FBI. You cannot trust many of the government leaders in this country today. There is so much deception, but, but you need to understand it's not them at work. There is a, what the Bible calls the mystery of iniquity doth already work. He is working to bring the world together under one umbrella. There will be a one world system. There will be a one world currency. There will be a one world leader. There will be a one world religion that is coming. And nothing is going to stop it because God declared this is going, going to happen. And you'll see this unfold more and more and more. And behind it is this same wicked Nimrod, Karl Marxism. All of that is at work. And as Christians, you should stand up and speak out such, in such ways as Richard Wormbrand did. Listen to a poem that Karl Marx wrote. And Wormbrand has it in one of his 18 books. That Wormbrand wrote 18 books and he put this poem in there. Just so you have an idea of who this man is. Karl Marx says, To thee my verses, unbridled and daring, shall mount, O Satan, king of the banquet. For never shall Satan, O priest, stand behind thee. Thy breath, O Satan, my verses inspire, when from my bosom the gods I defy. O soul that wanderest far from the straightway, Satan is merciful. Like the whirlwind spreading its wings, he passes, O people, Satan the great. Thou hast the God of the priest dethroned. That... That, that is worship of Karl Marx to Satan. 
Have you seen Satan worship going on more and more in America? They have Satan Bible studies in the elementary that I, not Bible studies, Satan, well, there is a Satanic Bible, but a Satan club at the elementary that I went to in Wilmington, Ohio. Lebanon, they're having Satan Bible studies in some of the schools. Is this crazy? We look back at America and our history and we see the evil of what's known as chattel slavery, which is when one person owns another person. Political slavery is when the government owns everyone. But what you need to know is this. The outcome is exactly the same. In the past 100 years, socialistic and communistic countries have literally slaughtered 100 million of their own citizens. This government utopia doesn't exist. They will rule you and they will kill you if you don't bow down to their ways. And at the front of that persecution is the slaughter of Christians. Just know that's coming to America if, if, if nothing changes. Because we are on a fast track to this system. But they have to get rid of the Constitution, don't they? They have to undermine these white supremacists and these evil dictators that came to America and they want to undermine all of America's history. So it will be from religion, secondly from government, thirdly from families. Look at verse 21. This is the third wave of, of, of persecution that will come. He says in verse 21, And the brother shall deliver up the brother unto death. The father of the child, the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. You know, as sin increases in a culture, hostility toward God's truth will increase. And some of you face this in your own homes, don't you? Some of you have family members that don't want to have really anything to do with you because you follow Jesus Christ. They don't want to listen to you. They don't want to be around you. You're not welcome anymore. But in the first century, the Fox's Book of Martyrs just lists situation after situation where families would deliver up family members to be put to death. We, we had a Muslim young man who got saved here, and he said, if I tell my family, they will disown me. There are some groups in the world that have a funeral for their family member if they become a Christian. And what you find in this passage here is that there is a clear line. If you're going to be a Christian, it's, it's going to cost you something. You know, you know what you say, are you afraid of persecution coming to America? I'm not afraid of that. Persecution will not destroy the church. It will purify the church. The early church fathers and the early church saints, they said the, the, the persecution of the saints became seed for the gospel. Where they persecuted them the most, it spread like a fire. Because what it does is, we live in a Christianity today where people are like, well, you know, my air condition's broken my car. I don't think I'm going to church this week. Or, uh, you know, the Buckeye game was late last night, and, and, and you know, or they stay up late for something. Ah, it's hard to get up in the morning so they don't come. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. If you get thrown off and sidetracked by such whimsical things, uh, in that day, how, do you think you're going to show up to church if that could fine you, or if they could put you in prison, or you could face some serious persecution? Listen, we've taken for granted because Christianity has had somewhat of a home field advantage for many years in our culture. But we're now on, for, we're now on foreign soil. We're citizens of heaven living in, in a place where you're not going to be accepted. Uh, they don't want the God of the Bible. We had 50 people stand across the street and blaspheme God in a way that I can't even repeat just a few months ago, slandering Christ, cursing God and everything in this direction. We, we live in a world where hostility will continue to increase. Fourthly, we will face this from society. 
Look at verse 22. He says, and ye shall be hated of how many? All men. Why? For my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Society will continue to turn on Christianity. You need to understand that's coming. It's coming. And it will only increase more and more. People who say, you know what, I miss the America that I grew up in. If you grew up in the 50s, you saw the golden years of America. Let me just say this. Sadly, those days are long gone. They're not coming back. God could do whatever he wants. There could be a great revival, and, and we pray that could happen, and trust God to do some wonderful things. And I believe there will be revivals during the tribulation period as the 144,000 go out and preach all around the world. But I can tell you, the Bible tells us in the last days, men will get worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, and persecution will increase. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So just be prepared so you're not shocked. So when it happens, you're like, yeah, Pastor Josh preached on that. Now he said that. Did Jesus candy coat it? Why do you want us to know? So you're not like, hey, you know, it's going to be a great deal over here. It's going to be easy. You better better pad up. You better better, better be ready. You you better not be casual about your Christianity. You better be serious about who Jesus is. Because it will run you over. Storm's coming, friends. You you think it's been, been a little crazy these last few years. What, what next is going to be on the horizon that shocks you? What next is going to happen? If, if they came up with COVID, what, what do you think is next in line? Right? It's coming. Some of you people who work for the government, some of you who work as military, had to choose between your convictions and losing your positions. I mean, there are many people in the healthcare world that were like, man, I, I don't want to take the vaccine, but I've, been, we, I've had people here that were in the medical field 30 and 40 years who said, I may lose my job because I don't believe I should take an untested vaccination. Because the medical side of this, as a doctor, I understand that my body's immunity is just better than, and, and they didn't want to take, but they had to face this. We, we gave probably a hundred different exemptions that we gave out for people, the religious exemptions who asked for it. Why did you do that? Because we believe people should have the freedom to choose. And I believe it's up to you. You want to take it? That's fine with you. I'm not saying it's wrong. That's not an immoral thing. That's between you and God. But if you don't want to take it, I will stand by you as well and defend your right to take it or not to take it. You have the freedom of choice between you and God. You should not be forced by government to put something in your body that you don't want. And they're saying, oh, you know, government overreach. They, they, they shouldn't be allowed to tell us what we do with the baby in our womb. Yeah, we don't think you should be able to kill a child in your womb. But you're the same voice telling us we need to take an injection in our body. You hypocrites. Amen. That's a rabbit trail. I wasn't playing on it. There it is. But we need to, we need to stand for these things. And, and if we don't stand somewhere, we're going to fall for everything, right? Now let me close with seven ways Jesus gives us on how to respond. You say, how do you close with seven things? That's a very dangerous, dangerous thing. Well, we quit. We'll be done. I got done on time in the early service. How do we respond? Because I'm going to tell you, friends, you're going to need to know this. You're going to use this in life. First of all, you need to respond with wisdom. Look what he says in verse 16. He says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. What's the first thing he says? Be therefore wise. Be wise as serpents. The, the word wise there, phroneo in the Greek, is to act with sensibility. To have some shrewdness. To use good judgment. It's the opposite of being foolish. The Egyptians had a serpent as a, in their hieroglyphics, it symbolized wisdom. Many cultures use serpents as a symbol of wisdom. 
And, and, and snakes have an incredible ability to escape danger, don't they? We was walking the other day and came across the snake on the path down at the Narrows. We were walking and, and I had all the girls with me. It's always a fun time when that happens, you know, snake. Yes. But you, you almost always step on a snake, don't you? I mean, then they slither away. You're like, where'd they go? And you're searching, trying to grab it. And, you know, and some of you guys are like, why would you try to grab it? Because there's things you can do with a snake, you know, there's just, so... But the Bible tells us that we need to have wisdom in a way that we are not seeking to inflame persecution, but seeking to not be involved in persecution. Colossians 4, 5 tells us here, walk in wisdom toward them with or without redeeming, redeeming the time. I've known people say, you know, I lost my job because, they, because I'm a Christian. I said, what did you do? Well, I got in this argument with the boss and I, you know, and, and they started doing that LBG, LGBTQ, you know, all these other letters. And, and they, they were trying to force that on me. And, and you know what? I just started yelling and getting upset. Well, well, that's not walking wisely. Don't, don't, don't seek to be, you know, stand up for the truth. Stand up for what's right. If I was working a job, many of you are in these situations. I get asked this all the time. Pastor, what should I do if my work, you know, tells me I need to partake in, you know, especially during Pride Month, you know, all this stuff. I said, listen, you know, you can respect other people's views, other people's positions. They could be an atheist. You can respect them and all that. I said, the place that it crosses the line is when they ask you to partake in and support that teaching. In the same way, you have to respect my Christianity. You're to respect that, but I'm not asking you to pray to Jesus. I'm not forcing you to pray to Jesus. And if you don't do that, you're going to lose your job, right? So in the same way, hey, if you want, you want, to, you want to wear your shirts and you want, to, you want to believe in whatever you want to believe in, that's up to you. But don't tell me to celebrate that for you. I'm not asking you as an atheist to believe in my Jesus or else I'll have nothing to do with you. I, I may share the gospel, which obviously you will, but, but to force someone to, to, to um, promote that is problematic and it's false and it's wrong to do so but walk in wisdom some people get fired from their jobs because they they get argumentative let me ask you this when Jesus stood up and and they were they were accusing him of all these things how argumentative was Jesus how, how many debates did he get he did better to, if you don't know what to say sometimes just quiet the Bible says he that holdeth his tongue is wise so secondly, not only walk with wisdom, but, be, but, but, but respond with innocence. Verse 16, he says, be wise as serpents, but harmless as what? As doves. You know, most people would kill a snake, but very few people would want to kill a dove. So being innocent involves avoiding that which would injure you, would injure your testimony. This involves both putting off the old man and putting on the new man. Turning away from sin, but also turning toward what's right. In a world that is hostile toward the truth, and you, you, need to, you need to respond in ways that don't give them a cause to persecute you, because they're looking for it, right? So don't do things that would inflame that. Don't do things that would stir that up needlessly. So walk, walk wisely, not foolishly. You know, I think about, think about Jesus. They could find nothing wrong with him, could they? So there's, this man's done nothing. Remember Daniel when the Chaldeans sought to persecute him before King Darius? Listen to what they said. They, they couldn't find anything to accuse him in except in one area, Daniel 6, 5. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. 
Let that be true of you. The only thing they can condemn you in is where you have conviction in Jesus Christ. Listen, if you hold to your conviction, sometimes it brings on persecution at your work or your place of employment or society or neighbors or whatever, but you're not seeking that persecution. I've seen people who go out and preach on the streets and say inflammatory things. That's not godly. That's stirring up strife. That's making people bitter toward true Christianity. That's foolishness. We tell the truth. We preach the truth. We stand up for the truth. But we do it with wisdom. We do it with grace. We do it with love. But we do it with boldness. And we do it in a way that doesn't seek persecution. Thirdly, we need to face this with privilege. Verse 18, he says, you're going to do this for my sake. They're going to persecute you for my sake. Recognize the honor of being persecuted for Christ. It's not how dare they say that to me or how dare they do that to me. It's praise God that I get to suffer in my body the marks of our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 5, it says this, they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple from house to house, they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. You say, should I defy the government if they come against me? You defy the government if they defy God. When in, in Acts chapter 4, they said, do not teach or preach anymore in the name of Jesus. They said, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God judge you, but we cannot do, speak the things we have seen and heard. We, we must. And so, uh, always follow the highest authority. God has placed us under government, but government is placed under God. So when they told us, hey, you can't sing or you can't have so many people in your church during COVID, hey, uh, God commanded us to meet together and we're going to do what God's commanded us to do. The government is not in control of the church. They've just overstepped their boundaries. Now, number four, we need to, we need to also uh, do this with opportunity. Verse 18, he says, uh, we need to see, see persecution and face it with, with the mindset that this is an opportunity. <clears throat> Notice verse 18, he says, and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake. And then he says this, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. The word testimony there, it comes from a Greek word, martyrion, where we get the word martyr from. And then a martyr is, is the word originally referred to one who was a legal witness, but it came to refer to one who died <coughs> for Jesus Christ. And it was the martyrs of the church that gave testimony and proof of the gospel. They stood for the word of God. And just know this, there will be times in your life that you may face persecution. And that is an opportunity to be a witness of the truth. In that, you need to see that as a blessing by God to be able to stand for his sake, but also to be a good witness for him. I've seen people who respond in terrible ways to persecution. I can't believe they, you know, uh, at work, they sort of, you know, and they, they get all argumentative, get all worked up and get upset because somebody said something about them because they were a Christian or they get super defensive and super angry. Listen, that's not the spirit that Jesus called us to. You should look at it instead of being upset because they get on you for being a Christian. You should say, praise God. I mean, they're, they're, they're setting up treasure in heaven for me. Amen. You, you mean I'm actually... There's enough in my life that would condemn me to be a Christian. That's good news. There's enough noticeable there. Praise God. Like, like you should see that as a, as a positive and not a negative. You, you have to have the right mindset. Not only that, but number five, we need to face this stuff with faith. With faith. Imagine sitting in a prison, knowing that you may face death for the cause of Christ. You would be pondering, how should I respond? What am I going to say at the witness stand? This went on in first century Christianity and, and really all throughout the centuries. Look what Jesus says to do in verse 19. But when they deliver you up, 
Take no thought. That word is, is in the Greek. It means like, do not worry. How or what you shall speak. And that's what you would be worried about, isn't it? He says, for it shall be given you in the same hour what you shall speak. Why? How? For it is not ye that speak, but the spirit of your father which speaketh in you. What an incredible blessing that in that setting, God says, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to be with your mouth. You don't have to premeditate. You don't have to consider, how am I going to answer this judge? How am I going to answer this counsel? The Lord will be with your mouth. Is that comforting? This happens in Acts chapter 4 when Peter is brought before the Jewish Sanhedrin and he is giving account of uh, something that went on there and he was, had been preaching and they demanded of him by what power he had done a miracle and by what authority he's preaching. And in that setting, before the same Jewish ruling body that had condemned Jesus to death just a few months ago, listen to what it says in Acts 4 verse 7. And when he had set them in the midst, they asked him, by what power, this is Peter and, and, and John, by what power or by what name have you done this? Notice verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of his Father, filled him at the exact moment. And he said, you rulers and people and elders of Israel, now we know the Father speaking through him, right? If we this day be examined of the good deed done by the impotent man, by what means he's made whole, be it known unto you and all the people in Israel by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand heard before you whole. You know what he goes on to say in verse 12? He says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter says, oh, by the way, there's only one way to get to heaven, and it's no other name but then through Jesus Christ. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Isn't that good? The, 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 the Holy Spirit that filled the mouth of Christ filled their mouth. Now, God has promised to provide us words to speak, not to settle that in our hearts, but to trust Him. This is to live with faith. Live with faith in these. And then lastly, or two more, real quick. Number six, with genuineness. Look at verse 22. And it says, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Now here, the grand mark of a true believer is they have a lasting faith. True faith is a lasting faith. It doesn't mean that you have to hold on to be saved. It means that if you're saved, he will hold on to you. The Bible tells us in John chapter 10, 27 through 30 that, right? Jesus says, you're in my hand and you're also in my father's hand. And in, in, in 1 Peter 1 verse 5, it says, we're kept by the power of God through faith. Jude verse 24 says, unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless. He is able to do that. John 17, 12. A day before Jesus dies, this is what he said. While I was with them, he's praying to the Father. He said, while I was with my disciples, with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. If you could lose your salvation, it's God that failed in keeping you. Anybody thankful that it's not up to you to keep your salvation? You're not here today because of how good you are. You're here today because of how good he is. He changed your heart. He changed your mind. He changed your life. He's drawn you to himself. And the Bible tells us if he's going to be the one that keeps you and to keep you to endure until the end, you better make sure your salvation is genuine. 
Because if it's real, it will last. Amen? And then number seven, with discernment. Look at verse 23. But when they persecute you in the city, he says, flee to another. That may seem kind of odd for a moment when you read that, but he says, For verily I say to you, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man become. What the Lord is saying is, when persecution comes so intensely, and, and that preacher is facing such persecution that it's at the point where he could die, he needs to go to another city. Because don't die needlessly. Like, like because other cities need the gospel. And that's exactly what Paul did. When persecution came, Paul went to another city. Now, I would preach in Zenian if they said, hey, you're going to go to jail, then I would just go to jail. But if they were saying, hey, you know, there's going to be somebody going to show up in the police, they're going to shoot you and kill you. Well, then the Bible tell me the wise thing to do wouldn't just be sitting here and get shot. It would be to go somewhere else where they could preach the gospel. And if the intensity came too much there in persecution, then you would go somewhere else. And so that's exactly what Paul did. He would preach in one city and the persecution got turned up so much that he would go preach to another city. And so that's the biblical pattern. So we, we know that this also has eschatological implications, which, which I mean that there's end time ramifications. Verse 16 through 23 is also listed in, in Luke's gospel, where in Luke 21, where he talks about the end times during the seven year tribulation. And, and, he, and he uses these same teachings there. So when he says, you will not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man become. That's the second coming of Christ at the end of the seven-year tribulation. So, so he's saying you will go over the cities of Israel. There will be preaching, and while preaching is going on, it needs to go not only now, but all the way through the church age, including the 144,000 that will be preaching throughout the tribulation, as Revelation 7 tells us. And I don't have time because time's gone to expand on that. But he says, do this until I come. And the good news is this, friend, Jesus Christ is coming back. I believe we are living in the last days. I believe that we are going to see things that will disturb us, but also excite us because we know that he is even at the door. And so as I close, know this persecution's coming, okay? It's coming. And it's not something to fear. It's something just to understand. All that live godly in Christ will face persecution. So how do we respond? Respond with wisdom. Don't be foolish. Don't be argumentative, but stand on the truth. Do it with innocence. Don't have sin in your life or do sinful, foolish things. Have a clean testimony. Be like Daniel and like Christ. Do it with privilege for his name's sake. See it as an honor. See the opportunity to be a witness for Christ, even in the face of these things. Do it with faith. Understand he will give you a mouth to speak. Do it with genuineness. Know that you're saved and then do it with discernment. If the temperature gets turned up too much, know that you can also move somewhere else to share if that day were to come. Praise God, we have so many freedoms still. Praise God that we live where we are. But Lord, may the Lord give us wisdom as we face these days. Amen. Amen.